0: Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 39. Welcome back, Adamantimaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison. Again, recording this on another frigid afternoon, minus 22 here in the 6th. Uh, it is winter in Toronto, in Canada, whiteout conditions, be careful if you're driving this week, but we're going to heat you up today with some southern, southern guitar, some southern blues music, because we've got... Marcus King from the Marcus King Band on the Adamantium podcast today. If you're not familiar with the Marcus King Band yet, if you haven't heard of Marcus King, I am sure you will hear plenty about him in the future. He's 22 years old. He's the next guitar prodigy, I think. He reminds me very much of a Stevie Ray Vaughan. He released his first album, I think, when he was like 18. Uh, He's now got three albums out, the latest of which is called Carolina Confessions. He's currently on tour for that album. I'm sure all summer long he'll be doing festivals um, and touring around. I met up with him before his show here in Toronto at the Phoenix Concert Theatre. Marcus is a very humble and welcoming person Which you'll hear in the interview We talk about his band and his family He's a 4th generation musician But I I won't give too much away Because I want you to hear it straight from him So before we do This is our first musical guest Of 2019 Of season number 2 So of course we're going to do The Adamantium Recommend section Five songs by Marcus King Band Recommended to you by the Adamantium Podcast So from his new album Carolina Confessions, I'm going to recommend, first of all, his first single, Homesick. Also, Goodbye Carolina. Third song is Where I'm Headed. And the fourth song is Welcome Round Here. And then from his self-titled album, I'm going to recommend the song Rita is Gone. So, at some point, hop onto YouTube or iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, whatever you use to get your music to give Marcus King Ban a listen. But, to save you some time and effort, Marcus was nice enough to share his first single from Carolina Confessions right here on the Adamantium podcast. So before we get into the interview, we're going to have a listen to Homesick by Marcus Kingban. Enjoy everyone. You're going to love it. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. What did you guys think of Homesick? Pretty incredible, eh? That guitar just makes you feel all warm inside. So excited that I could share it with you guys, and very excited to share this interview with Marcus King with you. But, real quick piece of business before we do if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please hit that subscribe button. Take a quick second to leave us a rating and a review. You can also find The Adamantium on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter just by searching the adamantium and that's it so time to head down south for episode number 39 of the adamantium podcast featuring marcus king of the marcus king band and if you're here in toronto please do your best to stay warm and stay safe have a great week everyone Uh, Marcus King from the Marcus King band and uh, you know first off congratulations on the new album oh thanks yeah man. I've had a that. few listens through it it's awesome it's uh, really really cool right down my alley um, oh, with, like, thanks. A classic you know rock and roll guy at heart so yeah yeah, I love it I love it um, and this album was kind of cool because now you're you're working with like a Grammy award-winning producer yeah. And uh, so, tell me a little bit about how you know how working on this album was maybe a, a little different from the first couple albums. Well, this one, you kind
1: of feel the the heat, you know, the pressure. R- okay. Which is good, because uh, we all kind of went in uh, the studio a little more confident this time around, because we we'd done a couple records and kind of went into it like, all right. We know what to do. But as soon as we got to the uh, RCA studios and walked into the A room, all that went away.
0: Yeah, okay. I felt
1: like a kid again and really, truly humbled just by the space. And also by Dave. Uh, Everything about it was very humbling. And working with Dave was one of the most organic things uh, we've done in our career. Uh, especially myself, working with him really uh, hit close to home because he was very similar in the way that
0: he processed things and the way he. Proved. How'd you guys get? what is this Dave Cobb we're talking about? And how'd you guys get connected in the first place?
1: Uh, somebody at our label had the idea. Uh, I can't recall who. Or it may have been may have been somebody from our management at the time. I uh, had the idea that Dave may be a good producer for the record Uh, because we had been shopping a little bit and looking for who would be the right fit for what I was trying to do and what I had was a a bag of songs that were all just acoustic songs Mm -hmm. you know, more singer-songwriter things and I didn't really have a full band idea in mind so finding somebody like Dave was really great because he was able to take the arrangements and
0: apply the whole band to it so you're saying there was the heat was kind of on for the album to, you know, the pressure was a little. Do you think that kind of fueled your motivation to make it what it what it, what it turned out to be?
1: Yeah, I think we uh, we all had, you know, the uh, I don't know. I can't really say that to be true because okay. it wasn't really going into it. We felt a little pressure. I did at least because. I had a lot going on right before the record. I was learning a lot of Black Crows tunes, because right before we went in the studio, I uh, well, right after we were in the studio, I had started the tour with Chris doing the, all the Black Crows tunes. Yes. So I was learning all those at night and trying to finish up all the songs for the record and touring and not I, sleeping
0: and pardon me if I, if I don't know but how, how come you were learning the, the Black Crows tunes Are oh you... sorry uh, yeah no maybe that's my my bad I didn't do enough research there but I did,
1: I did a tour last year with Chris Robinson we were doing all Black Crows music and okay he invited me to come be a part of the tour oh very cool it was called As the Crow Flies it was a really fun tour yeah that but, sounds really awesome yeah, but you see, where I was right before we went in to do this record was I had, you know, like 40 or 50 songs to learn, you know, that I had never really played before. So how
0: how long would something like that take you to learn?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I worked on it for about a month, you know. Okay. Whenever I'd have time, I'd get to
0: work. That would take some people a lifetime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that whole, that whole, you know, time before we went into the studio, I was in france that whole month okay so i was working
0: not a bad place to be stuck no it wasn't
1: bad not bad at all but we were playing every night we were gigging and we were traveling all day in a van so i'd wake up get in a van go and go into another town drop my stuff in a room learn a black crow's tune and then go to the show play the songs our songs play the show yeah and leave the venue, stay up till like five in the morning, learning songs, and then sleep a couple hours and then repeat it. Yeah. So by the time I got to the studio I was just like, shit, I'm there? just ready to yeah. work on my tunes and okay. get some rest. <laughs> yeah. So it was a stressful time is what I'm getting at, I guess. Yeah. But working off working you. with Dave was yeah. a stress reliever because yeah. he's so good at what he does. And that's my long-winded way of saying that he's a, a
0: real super guy to work with. Awesome! That's great to hear. And it's it was this is your third album. California Convention is your third album in like four years. Um, in that time, do you think? I mean, that's pretty one a work pretty workhorse mentality. Um, but do you think you were able? You've grown a lot as a musician in those four years, from when you released your first album. I'd say so. Uh, I mean, I guess that's a hard thing to analyze about yourself, but...
1: Yeah, you know, that's something I think
0: I've thought a lot about.
1: And with Carolina Confessions, we all grew uh, a lot as a band from what it was on the first record, uh, which was my drummer, Jack Ryan, and myself, and our bass player at the time, Anthony. He left the group after that first record, so really, the self-titled, which is our second album, uh, growing up from that space, because Dean had just joined the band and our keyboard player just joined the group uh, a year and a half ago. His first gig was actually in Toronto. No, oh, there you like go. A year and a half ago. So where will this venue? Or at yeah, the Mod Club. Mod Club. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, we grew a lot as a band, but I also grow as a, as a writer because, you know, the more you read and the more you experience life and meet new people and have new experiences and memories, I mean, how your vocabulary grows, not only, you know, from uh, a standpoint of the, the words or phrases you may use, in your music but your vocabulary of the world Mm -hmm. increases in your in your mind and in your heart Mm -hmm. so things that i wasn't able to articulate or put into words or into music like three years ago some of those some of those happenings or memories are still inspiring me today
0: because now i'm able to express it and also i'm sure like culturally you're a lot more expansive now having toured much right. of the world and yeah.
1: yeah appreciating other people's cultures and yeah. not not being afraid of, of change cuz something that we we none of us have a all of us have a very low tolerance for for xenophobia or okay closed mindedness yeah we really can't stand that kind of behavior so it it really adds to our, you know, distaste for that kind of behavior. Okay. Going and meeting new cultures and seeing how other people live and how accepting people are of us as Americans, mm-hmm. especially considering the stereotypes that Americans have made for themselves.
0: And being from the South, too, especially. And, especially yeah.
1: being from the South. Yeah, yeah. Just being loud and arrogant or, you know. I mean, we are loud. We accept that. <laughs> but
0: nothing wrong with being loud. Yeah.
1: Thing. But people accept us, you know. What yeah,
0: I mean? I'm so. Irish. We're we're known for being loud as well. It's yeah, cool. <laughs> we love we love the Irish. No, it's it's easy to love the Irish. It's. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, you actually come from. Uh, you're a fourth generation musician.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So tell me a little bit about your dad and your your granddad, and and how maybe they originally inspired you to be a musician.
1: It was all subconscious, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because we had, uh, like, I don't think they would call them jam sessions, but right. looking back on it, that's exactly what it was. That was
0: like playtime for you guys, was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, after, uh, or like, family get-togethers up at my great-grandfather's farm, and that was really cool, because my great-grandfather, uh, Morris, was a, a moonshiner <laughs> back in the 20s, yeah. and uh, he still had his moonshine still back behind his, uh, his uh, acres of land, so he'd take me back and show me that and, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a moonshiner and people were always after him. My grandfather was born into that family. Yeah. Have you ever had to try any of his moonshine? <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I was I was real little when when he was. just none. There's none left over. It's not like it's not like a fine wine. <laughs> there's
1: still there's still some cats in the family. Still, okay, that have the recipe. So all right, uh, <laughs> rest assured, that the King family recipe is still out there. <laughs> uh, my grandfather was born into that, so he he had a rough childhood. You know, he just worked on the farm, and music was an escape for him same way that it was for me. Uh, so, when I was born, my dad my dad grew up with a father who was a musician and supportive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And was also in the Air Force, so my dad grew up in the 60s, overseas, where, I, like I kind of aforementioned, was people were a little more open-minded over there.
0: Mm-hmm. So where was he in?
1: He was in like Frankfurt, Germany. Okay, in yeah. In Munich, Germany. Yeah. So he had his hair, long and he wore beads and he was playing like cream and hendrix yeah my dad's a fantastic guitar player uh still my hero as far as guitar is concerned and he was playing over there and then he moved uh back into south carolina Mm -hmm. with my grandfather in 1969 because he was born here moved over there and then came back when he was 16 in 1969, to a complete culture shock
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, of just intolerance and just hatred and violence right. in the South, and that really threw my dad off. Mm-hmm. So he really clinged to music, you know, as a escape mm-hmm. from all the crazy shit that was happening in the South in the 60s. So I get it from them as far as using it as an escape from reality. Mm-hmm and turning it into a new reality
0: for yourself. And I was, I was about to ask you what kind of, you know, not only as a musician, but life lessons did you learn from them? And that's, I mean, there's a big one right there, is yeah. your intolerance for hate or xenophobia.
1: Yeah. yeah, so what I learned from them was mostly what not to do. Right,
0: which yeah. is kind of the most important.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> I think it's just important to uh,
0: let people figure things out for themselves Mm -hmm. for the most part. And did they did they treat you that way too as when it came to music? Did they kind of just hand you a guitar or did you did your dad give you you know like typical lessons or?
1: He was stern with it just in the way of you know keeping me uh, on top of it. Mm -hmm. Because you have to understand like I mean the unfortunate thing about society is that people's attention spans are growing shorter and shorter. Mm -hmm. And I think my answers may be too long. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) But, you know, as a kid, my attention span, as all kids as are, uh, your attention span is rather short. So you have to kind of really, not pressure, but uh, encourage your your kids to really work at what they're doing Mm -hmm. if they're really serious about it. You know? It's like... uh, If you work really hard on the small scale, Les Paul, then we'll get you a a a big guitar. Right. So when I turned seven, I got a Squier Strat, and you know I just kept working, and it was never a doubt in my mind
0: that this is what you wanted to do. Yeah. Do you think now being this you know successfully touring musician, do you think there's lessons you've been able to pass back to your dad or?
1: Yeah, there was a time, and it was scary. Scary place for me just because my dad always told me. um, Because he was always just a guitar player for people, Mm -hmm. and he had a lot of success on the heels of other people. Okay, but he would always be like the guy in the band that was pushing it forward. Mm -hmm. But when things fall apart and it's not under your name, right, or you're not a found foundation of the group, Mm -hmm. you kind of fall apart with it, right? So all the groups he had worked with, when the front man or whatever would end up being a prima donna, or having a, a you know a drug problem, and fucking everybody out of the record contract, mm-hmm. you know, or everybody's fighting, and the record executives get pissed off and say to hell with it, my dad would always kind of get caught in it, the wrong end of the stick, mm-hmm. you know. So his career was a series of that, mm-hmm. but he was always such a great guitar player and a leader really mm-hmm. but he always just wanted to be the guitar player. So his advice to me was to encapsulate what I do and to be my own man and to follow through with it that way mm-hmm. because you know if things fall apart at the end of the day it's still Marcus King and he taught me how to find the right people to have to work with and I'm so blessed with my band and my father taught me how to do that.
0: Uh, yeah. Awesome. that's awesome man um and, and you've mentioned he's still your hero your favorite guitarist um does he ever let you take any of his guitars on, on tour with you
1: well we now have a system of sharing okay <laughs> cause I have a I work with Gibson guitars and I work with with Fender guitars so whatever my dad's looking for I try to get him you know what he what he wants uh because he never really had that those kind of opportunities, okay. you know. He was a struggling musician his whole life, and just a fantastic player. Uh, so, uh, what was I getting? There? So, so basically, you know, it goes a, the
0: other way. You're hooking him up with the guitars. Yeah,
1: and kind of what I was saying was the scary moment that happened was when I realized that I had kind of surpassed what he had he had done musically in yeah. his career. And when I'd ask him for advice on stuff, he'd be like, well, I didn't really do that when never really got to that mm-hmm. place. So I don't really know what to tell oh, yeah. you. And that was a scary time. So he's still able to really give me advice from
0: more of a moral standpoint. Right, though. You know? Um, you did use, though, some of your... I think I read you used one of your grandfather's guitars on the album.
1: Oh, yeah, man. Big Red.
0: Yeah? And what's what's that guitar for
1: there's a lot of significance to that guitar uh circling back to how important music is Mm -hmm. to me and the generation of men in my family who are also you know empaths that need something to get it all out through and my grandfather being a prime example in 1964 he had given up music and was just focusing on you know he was a staff master sergeant in the air force. He had three kids, a wife. And he was trying to support everybody, and they were living in uh, Montana at the time, uh, Great Falls, Montana. So he had a bunch of he had stomach ulcers because of the stress of being in that position and having a family and low income situation. So he went to the doctor about it, and the doctor told him to. Uh, Pick up a hobby. Asked him if he golfed or anything, and he said that he he had used to play music, but he he quit playing music because he wanted to focus on his family. And the doctor said, "Well, you should consider picking it back up." So he left from the doctor's office, and he bought a '64 Fender Super Reverb and a '62 ES-345, and that's the guitar I used on the record. Okay. Big red. Big red. And tonight with me, I have a replica that Gibson made. And to let a cat out of the bag, which I don't think they'll mind, that'll be the signature Marcus King model. Really? Very cool. Next year. Next year. Mm
0: -hmm. Very cool. That's awesome. Awesome. That is really cool to hear. Um, And you mentioned it earlier. Um, But I'm very curious to know what a a King family get-together is like.
1: Uh Well, now... These days, I'm never home, you know. Uh, there's one reason I, I started my own festival, and that was kind of the... Yeah, I Yeah, that was kind of a, the... The uh, nucleus of it was I missed all my family get-togethers, and they would always have them planned for times that I'd be out on the road. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, I want to do my own festival. I might as well... Incorporate my own family Family, into it, and you know if I can't make it to their get-togethers, help and invite them to to mine. Yeah. So it's been two years of that, and it's been fantastic. But a typical get-together,
0: you have. And and sorry, that's the uh, the Marcus King family reunion, is it called? Marcus King Band Family Reunion. Okay. And so, is it family members come and play with you? And
1: Yeah. Well, what it is is it's a it's a festival that we put on it. Brewing Company in Black Mountain North Carolina and we have uh, a lot of friends come out this past year we had the Revivalists headlining one night we had Chuck Lavelle there Devin Allman and Dwayne Betts and uh, Billy Strings a lot of really dear friends of ours that we met on the road that we consider our road family Mm -hmm. you know so we keep it keep it close and we we hand pick the lineup every year yeah uh just to keep it to the cause and we like to uh, benefit a few charities every year. yeah and this past year we gave to the uh, uh, what's it called North America mental health I can't remember the exact one okay but we, we were giving back to uh, mental health okay. research and also legalization of, of cannabis products as a medical
0: thing so it's just good to get the family back together very cool and so i'm sorry i interrupted you slightly you were saying that the act your actual kind of family gatherings you are about to yeah about that
1: you know it's just everybody kind of cooking and bringing a dish or yeah just sitting around and talking really and then it would always get down to singing some gospel hymns. Okay. When I was a kid, that's mostly what it was. You're right. All my great aunts would sing, my grandfather and my uncles would play, and my dad would play. So that was a really beautiful environment to grow mm-hmm. up around.
0: Do you find, you know, being such a young musician, do you experience much ageism in the in the industry?
1: It's not so much anymore. Okay. Which I think is that's fantastic. That's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, I I learned a lot when I was young, younger, uh, playing in clubs. Because I played in my dad's group until I was 12. And when I was 13, I started singing and I started fronting my own group and started playing in, yeah. in, in venues.
0: Well, that's I mean, that's the thing about you is you have as much, as a 22-year-old, you have as much experience as I 35-year-old. has
1: <laughs>
0: Well, my whole
1: thing was I really wanted to work, man. And I wanted mm-hmm. to... If I was going to be stuck in a high school where they didn't really get me... Right. If I was going to be stuck there, I was going to be working on the weekends until I was able to get on the road right? where I wasn't confined to going to this high school. Mm. So... What I did was I hired musicians that were mostly all in their 30s or older because they were make, they were make, playing music for a living. Mm-hmm. So they took it seriously because nobody in, in my grade was gonna take, right. take it exactly. serious. And I also needed somebody to act as a chaperone. That's how I would right. sell it to the club owners. But then you got club owners that were trying to stiff us on pay. And when you're 15 years old, they don't really take you serious.
0: And I mean that's I mean not only just the maturity factor, but to learn all that about basically your business. Yeah. To learn all that at fifteen is
1: man, pretty incredible.
0: I've had
1: I've had the great pleasure of so many uh, so many incredible just mentors that have taught me what to do and to LLC and to own my own business Mm -hmm. and to be the president of King Family Touring and. to get my thing together, really, mm-hmm. you know, so nobody could really screw me over on it. Right. <laughs> unless I screwed myself over. Uh, but I remember many times where they didn't want to pay us, and I just took a note from my grandfather's book, which was, if they don't pay you, just start taking a shit. <laughs> 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 which isn't I the like greatest it. advice, but, like, I like it. It, it got us paid. Yeah, that's true. Nobody wants to see their shit going out That's, it. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the one way. That's one way of doing it, and I'm sure it worked. Um, the album itself, you know, it explored themes of... Uh, it was described to me as affairs of the soul. Uh, things like the feeling, the, the feeling of leaving home and absolution and guilt and that kind of thing, which is... Um, I think people... I don't know where the question is in here, but I think pe- older people kind of forget that you feel all these heavy things when you're in your early twenties. In um, preparing for this interview, I thought about myself as a as a younger man and, and feeling that kind of heaviness. Um, and so, do you? I guess where I'm going with it is, you know, do people ever, you know, are they ever surprised by this?
1: Yeah. Well, I think. Uh I'd say maybe. Yeah. I, I have people all the time that say, can't wait to see what you're going to be doing in five years. Right, if you've I'm already like, what about felt what all I'm this. doing right now?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, that's maybe it. Check out the record we have out right now. Yeah. It's on iTunes or whatever. Um, <laughs> which is always funny to me. It's, I never know how to react to that kind of compliment. Somebody last night even was like, Man, when you grow up, you're gonna be great. Right. I was <laughs> like,
0: aren't I great now? <laughs> thanks, yeah. thanks.
1: Which I mean, I don't think I'm great or anything. I think I'm doing okay. But I
0: no, think you're pretty great. I man.
1: think people, <laughs> like, I think people uh, um, forget how, when you're young, you know, things really hit you harder because Hard. you haven't gone through it before. Right. You know, you got a record like Pet Sounds, which is a, a record of coming of age. It's a Telling of a young man, you know, right. Brian Wilson, yeah. in his twenties, coming coming of age, and I've always been like a helpless, hopeless romantic, and I think most kids in their teens are, because you just feel things so much harder and that's true, so yeah. much more intimate and close to your heart. And the older you get, the more jaded you become. I think that's it, Because the world wears
0: you down. And I think people forget that, and, and they, they think things like, you know, how much heartbreak can you really feel at that age? And, it's, and then, you know, when I like I said, when I personally thought back of it, I was like, one of the biggest heartbreaks I've ever felt was when I was 21. Yeah. You know? And, uh, that
1: first real heartbreak, that first real uh, loss, you know?
0: Yeah. I Rejection, mean, that kind yeah. of...
1: Yeah. You know, I had... What I always call is like a, the blessing of being mis, misfortunate and, and lost from a young age, from around the time I was twelve or thirteen. The first girl I really was sweet on in middle school, she died in a car accident, oh, when geez. we were both thirteen years old. So from that moment forward, I was
0: just all into the music and wow. And I think I think for you, for I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, and I, th- I think one of the ways that it, it, it bleeds in your music is I think you, are, most people can feel it, but they can't express it musically the way you can. And I think that's one way that you are really blessed um, is that you can express that through your music. I mean, I can even hear in, in, in the way you play guitar what you're feeling. And that's like an extremely rare talent. It's
1: a blessing, man. I'm so happy that I'm able to express myself. And, you know, situations such as that and a lot of other situations that I won't get into from when I was a kid it really broke my heart, mm-hmm. you know, and I really feel strongly still when I think about it, but music is just a way for me to slowly release some of that. And some of those situations, I I still haven't found the words to write about. Right. Just like I said earlier, like uh, relationships that ended for me, like almost two years ago now that's what I wrote about a lot on this record that was the main source of it Mm -hmm. because when it was over I didn't have the words to say about how I felt but retrospectively I look back at my muse for this record Mm -hmm. I look back at it and I'm able to say you know I'm at fault here as well just as much as she is and you know that's just one part of it, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Is it's not always a uh, a blameless situation, but I think for the most part, everybody has a little fault. To,
0: yeah, yeah. You know. Wow, that's a, a very mature way to think of, of things. But uh, and even if you can't find the words to express it, I think you have found musically rhythms or you know notes that can express it. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Try to make the guitar an extension of what I'm saying. Of yourself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I've noticed in the last couple of years, and and this year especially, kind of uh, a more emergence of new blues and like blues rock bands, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, bands like the Glorious Sons and and, and, like Greta Van Fleet and stuff like that. Um, Do you think that there is a thirst for that kind of music? In 2018,
1: I think that uh, that's a safe a safe bet. Everything, just from what I could tell, has has been pretty cyclical up until now. Mm-hmm. People have a a pretty you know uh, big desire for nostalgia or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Really, things are coming back, and what I what I see coming back is just actual music mm-hmm. again. You know. People were really into the 80s for a minute there, and now bell-bottoms and, and desert boots and yeah. uh, fringe suede boots and all that shit's coming back around. Yeah. So I think uh, there'll be an opportunity to wear what I think is cool is actually cool
0: mainstream. Right. You know? How big is your collection of hats?
1: <laughs> it grows a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually just looking at a hat that I wanted to get, an old Stetson, uh, just before this interview.
0: Yeah? Where do you find your, where do you, that's I was going to ask, where do you find your hats? So
1: this one, I I work with a company in L.A. Okay. Custom. A really dear friend of mine, his name's Charlie Overbay. Okay, shout out to Charlie. Charlie, he's a fantastic musician, but... His side hustle is he makes incredible hats. Okay. And he ages them and makes them look really cool and rustic. Uh, and the company's called Lone Hawk. So I wear those, but I'm a real sucker for old Stetsons. Mm-hmm. You can find those on eBay or. Okay. Problem with thrift stores is everything's too small. Everybody in the '70s had small heads, yeah. small bodies. I don't know what what happened yeah. <laughs> in the in the past forty years, but. I've got a huge head, and I can't wear any of the clothes.
0: You can't find, so you have to have them <laughs> custom made.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, I wear seven and five eighths, so you can you can find that hat on eBay, but you don't find them at thrift stores
0: as much. Right. I was going to say, if you're spending any time in Toronto, there's a great area of the city called Kensington Market that's got just yeah, right. thrift shops uh, and hat stores. And check so, it out. Yeah, Kensington Market. And from next time, next time you're back, great area yeah. to walk around too. But it'll feel like you're in the 70s. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, you've had a chance to already work with some insanely talented musicians, um, even on this album alone. Uh, the song How Long was written with Dan I always mess up his name Auerbach 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 yeah Yeah, from the Black Keys um do you have or do you have like a dream list of people that you would love to work with
1: so you know Dan Auerbach was certainly on on the top of that list he's a real he's a really first of all he's a really sweet dude Mm -hmm. he's a really good friend he's a fine musician too so being able to work with him really kind of showed me that there's no limit to the heroes of mine that I'd like to work with yeah Uh, in a shorter way of answering it I guess John Prine okay
0: (laughs) is that like the top of your your list John
1: Prine is up there okay Uh, Neil Young yeah, that would be <laughs> pretty dream. insane,
0: eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're in the right country. I, I am. <laughs> I am. Uh, I don't know where he lives these days,
1: but um, I don't know, man. Yeah. I'm gonna find him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna work together. And that's it. I'm speaking it. I'm sure he'd be. I'm <laughs> sure he's sweet on your music already. You know? Oh, that'd be cool. It would be pretty cool. Yeah. Right? Um. You've been touring really extensively. In 2018. I was looking at some of the dates. And just been constantly on the road. Um. What have been some of your favorite cities venues so far?
1: Wow! Yeah, yeah. You know, the first one I always go to is uh, uh, Red Rocks in uh, what's it called Morrison, right outside of Denver, Colorado. Okay. So Red Rocks, it's like an, it's a spiritual thing to play there, man.
0: Is that the one in like in the cave?
1: That is my, one of my other favorites. Okay. That's, in, that's in Tennessee. Okay. And we call that the Red Rocks of the South. It's a it's a cavern, uh, like a mile underground, and they have a chandelier there from the turn of the century uh, from a hotel in New York hanging from this rock. And it's these rocks that they, they used to make arrowheads out of, right? So it's really dense, and it soaks up the sound. So the acoustic uh, quality of that room is just... Perfection. Really. So that's one of my favorite places it's called Cumberland Caves, uh, Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado. Uh, one of my new favorite venues in Cohoes, New York, is uh, is called Cohoes Music Hall. Okay. Really hip spot. I just posted something about this ghost that's there her name's Ava Tangray I did see that yeah and
0: yeah so tell us what's the story behind Ava
1: I thought that was so rad man she was like a vaudeville actress uh, she got her start at the co music hall she actually got booed off the stage at co music hall uh, and then she was in Hollywood and I think she died in Hollywood or not entirely sure what happened to her but tragic death young age so Everybody that works at that venue has seen her in the uh, venue. Really? So that's what they say. I didn't see anything, but uh, they had like a, a shrine yeah. at the venue where you leave gifts. Okay. And you leave a gift, and that's the whole thing is leave a gift and you'll have a good set. And if you don't leave a gift, you just up to the mercy of, of this ghost. But okay. I've played. So did plus, you leave a gift? Oh, yeah. What did you leave? We left... Uh, one of my guitar picks. Okay. And we left a, a pin that was special to our bass
0: player. Yeah. That's how cute to wrap things up. But. <laughs> uh, and actually, you know what? That was my my last question, and it ended with a pretty cool story. So yeah. It's a well, good yeah, way to quite, wrap up this it's podcast. it a real
1: pleasure. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having you know,
0: me. Thank you very much for taking the time, and uh, very much looking forward to the set tonight. So. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Good to meet you, brother. Yeah, you too, man.